So we praise the Lord, we worship the Lord, we offer to the Lord, we petition the Lord, and now it is time to hear from the Lord. So if you will just bow down and take a moment to pray that God will speak. And when God speaks, we will hear and we will understand. Let's just commit this time into the hands of the Lord. And let's pray that he will take total charge of every situation in this place. Father God, we just want to thank you once again, Lord. You've given us this opportunity of once again hearing from you, Lord Father. We know, Lord, that you have something for us, Lord. And Father God, we pray, Lord, that even as we listen to the words that you have for us, Lord, we will internalize them, Lord. We will make them part of us, Lord Father. And we will respond to your call, Lord Father. We thank you for this privilege we have of listening to your word, of sharing your word, of hearing from you, Lord Father. What greater, ble what greater blessing can we have, Lord, than to hear from you? We give all praise, honor, and glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now sometime in 1978, that is approximately 35 years back if my maths is correct, I received this scripture tract. Uh, and uh, I have this habit of uh, collecting things uh, and keeping them in different corners of uh, various boxes and uh, books that I have. And I just came across this last week. I suddenly thought I need to search for this one, and I just happened to get it. It's a tract, and it is titled, Meet the Only Complete Man. Okay, 1978 is when I received this scripture tract. And its title is, Meet the Only Complete Man. And therefore, the title for today's very brief message is simply going to be, Meet the Only Complete Man. Meet the Only Complete Man. And what I'm going to do to start with is to read what has been written in this tract. And it goes like this. More than 2,000 years back, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. The man lived in poverty and was raised in obscurity. He possessed neither wealth nor clout. His relatives were inconspicuous, simple folk with little education and no influence. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled wise men. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the waters. He hushed the sea to sleep. He healed multitudes without medicine and charged no fee for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet perhaps... All the libraries of the world may not be able to hold all the books written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools together cannot boast of having as many students as he has. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun. And yet, no leader ever has had more volunteers who have, under his orders, made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot being fired. He never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. 
Multitudes across nations gather to worship him. The names of the past, proud statesmen of Greece and Rome, England and France have come and gone. The names of past scientists, theologians and philosophers have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. It simply refuses to die. He is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamp of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords and the healer of all diseases. They bet him, they whipped him, they crucified him and they even buried him. But they could not kill him. Though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of this generation and the mockers of his crucifixion, he still lives. His, enemy could not, his enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils. He is the risen, incomparable, victorious Jesus. Jesus Christ. Our Savior and our Lord, the only complete man. In just over half an hour's time, we are going to partake in what Jesus constituted 2,000 years back, on the night he was betrayed. Before we do that, can we spend some time looking at who this man Jesus is all about? We read a series of words, uh, sentences that sound poetic, that sound nice, that may express who Jesus is, but does it really mean anything to us at all? Now, interestingly, as I was uh, searching for this uh, particular uh, tract, I also came across another tract, which is in even more scattered, torn, tattered condition, which was originally in the possession of my grandfather, and uh, by hierarchy has come to me. Okay. Now, it is titled, Christ in Every Book of the Bible. And from Genesis to Revelation, it describes the name and the character of Jesus Christ, all in this much, just this much space. The whole Bible is in here. You see, the names may be different, the descriptions may be different, but the fact remains that between the 22 books of the, the 66 books of the Bible, the details of the person of Jesus Christ are very clearly defined and described. If we go right from Genesis to Revelation, if there is one thing we will get at the end of it, is to clearly understand that the one single thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus Christ. And not only Jesus Christ, by the time you are done with Revelation, having started at Genesis, you will exactly know who this Jesus Christ is. I am not going to mention the 66 names or descriptions that are mentioned, except to mention how Jesus is described in the Gospels. In Matthew, he is referred to as the kingly Messiah. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In Luke, he is the son of man and the friend of sinners. In John, he is the son of God. But what we are going to do over the next 15 minutes or 20 minutes is just to highlight 
some of the portraits of Jesus, of who Jesus is, from the New Testament. Number one, his humility. His humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, says this. And if you will turn to those verses, you will read these words. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Let this mind be in you, which, all, which was also in Christ Jesus, that being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation. Now how often have we Every one of us here, me included, every one of us, how often have we put status, position, prestige, reputation as important criteria? When we choose jobs, when we change jobs, when we choose our spouses, when we choose spouses for our children, when we choose our friends, when we choose which friend's house we are going to visit. Jesus chose no reputation. Jesus chose humility. The list could go on. If we really look at ourselves, humility is low down our priority. Some of us don't even have it in our dictionary. Jesus was known as a friend of publicans and sinners. He visited the homes of the despised. He was a man of humility. That's what the Bible tells us. He never used his divinity to push forward his agenda. In fact, Jesus took time to warn people of the perils of position. If you read Luke chapter 14, in verse 7 and 8, he says this, so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you is invited by him. And in verse 11 he goes on to add this, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When we prayed, we said, nothing will be impossible with God. Am I right? And we used the word will to mean 100%. We did not say, may, shall, might be. We said, nothing will be impossible with God. And we said, that is 100%. Let's not be dichotomous people. Let's understand will with the same 100%. Because Jesus says here, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Not may be humbled and may be exalted. It is 100%. Jesus gave value to humility. Can we think about humility as something that we need to have within us? It's got to come from within us. It's not something that you put on 
I can't put on humility. It needs to come from within me. The more we become Christ-like, the more Christ-like portraits and the more Christ-like characters will flow out from us. We don't need to put on these characters. Number two, his love. Ephesians 5, chapter, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Everything that Jesus Christ did on this earth was based on love. It was his love for you and for me that took him to the cross to die a horrible death on that cross. It's just a week back that we were reminded when Brother Claudie put up those, that PowerPoint to tell us, to show us those pictures of the suffering that Jesus Christ had undergone. Have we forgotten that? What took him to that cross? What made him suffer the way he suffered? He was beaten beyond recognition. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. Why did he have to suffer that? Did he do it to show his authority? Did he do it because he said that he would rise up after three days and therefore I'm going to do it? Did he do it as a dare? Did he do it so that he would be remembered for all posterity? Everybody would remember the passion of the Christ. Did he do it for that? No. He simply did it because he loved you and me. It's simple basic love. Nothing more than that. He loved you and me. There was no qualification to that love. It was absolute love. He said, these are my people. I love them. And if the only way I can get them to me is by hanging on that cross, suffering the, all the humiliations which come with it, suffering all the pain that comes with it, so be it. I will do it. That is Christ's love. And you see, this is also true of the Father. John 3.16, something that we always quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like Father, like Son. You see, God so loved the world. Number three, his grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we read this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Grace is a gift of God by which he extends mercy, loving kindness, and salvation to people. God's grace enables him to confront our indifference and rebellion with his unlimited capacity to forgive and to bless. See, look at the extremes, okay? It gives God's grace, allows him to confront our indifference and our rebellion. That's the kind of people we really are. Now, we need to strip ourselves of all the masks that we put on. Now, I'm not asking you to look at your neighbor and say, yes, he's a very rebellious person. 
I am not asking you to look at your neighbor and, uh, and, and say that, yes, he's very indifferent. He's in fact gone to sleep right now. Okay. No, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to look at yourself. I'm asking me to look at myself. How often have I been indifferent to what the Lord is telling me? How often have I had a casual attitude? How often have I rebelled against what God has told me? And yet, look at the other end of the spectrum. What has he got? His grace is his unlimited capacity to forgive and to bless. I stand here being blessed by so many things. In the last 12 years that I have been here, I have received blessing after blessing after blessing. If I think of what I was 12 years back, I can't believe that I am in this position today. Materially, spiritually, everywhere. And I'm sure that's true of most of us here. In fact, all of us. Because so many times we have heard testimonies. In ourselves, in Victory Night, God has blessed. God has blessed. God has blessed. And yet, when you strip yourself of all the masks, all the coverings that we cover ourselves with, we look at ourselves, we are indifferent, rebellious people. God's grace. That is the grace of Christ. Number four. His obedience. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and has given him the name which is above every name. You see, Jesus was absolutely obedient. If there is any one example you need to take for obedience, just look at Jesus. All you need to do is look at Jesus. Biblically, obedience is defined as an act of submission to the will of the Father. An act of submission to the will of the Father. Throughout the earthly life of Jesus, the one character that we very clearly see standing out is his obedience. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, we can see that Jesus was subject to his parents. Or, he was in submission to his parents, and through those early days of his life, he grew in wisdom and stature with God and with men. After the age of 12, until the age of 30, there is no other recorded statement of how Jesus was. But to me, the hitting point simply is this. He was subject to his parents. And he grew in stature with God and with men. I think that encompasses 18 years. Whatever theories have been brought out by theologians, philosophers, uh, anybody else who have looked for scrolls under the, the hidden scrolls under the Red Sea, the Blue Sea, the Green Sea, White Sea, whatever other sea, it doesn't matter. The Bible only expresses those 18 years in these two sentences. Okay? Jesus was subject, he was in submission to his parents. And he grew in stature with God and with man. In John 15, Sorry, John 5, verse 19. John 5, verse 19. Jesus said this to the Jews. He answered them this way. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in like manner so jesus took all his cues whatever he had to do he looked at the father father said do it this way that's the way it got done no can i have an alternative can i have a plan b can i have a better suggestion no questions god's will that's what was applied okay that's what jesus is in john 14 verse 31 jesus says as the father gave me commandment so i do as the father gave me commandment so i do there's no ambiguity about these verses it simply is what the what the father says that i do and you see jesus a few verses earlier to that in verse 15 of chapter 14 he tells us if you allow me keep my commandments comes down to obedience can we be obedient to the words of christ because christ said if you love me keep my commandments has anybody misunderstood that sentence do we need to translate that into some other language do we need to translate that into sms language because some of us don't understand any other language at the moment to me that's a very straightforward sentence if you love me keep my commandments you see can you see that jesus was truly an epitome of obedience as parents we expect obedience in our children as senior officers and managers we expect obedience in those under our supervision as teachers we expect obedience in our students as doctors and nurses we expect our patients to be obedient to our instructions which of course they rarely are why is it then as children of god we are repeatedly disobedient to his will and his instructions and his commands and yet we expect great things from god our god is good our god is going to work miracles can you please do this for me ask god later you see no wonder if you go through the gospels jesus addressed the scribes and the pharisees in strong words and the words he used were simply this brood of vipers hypocrites today i had actually written here many of us i'll change that some of us if we really do a self examination fit this description and i am being just as critical on myself as i mention it across to you we could go on and on and on about the different other portraits of jesus we haven't spoken about for want of time we haven't spoken about his power we haven't spoken about his wisdom we haven't spoken about his righteousness or his justice or his gentleness or his compassion or his meekness or his sinlessness or his suffering or his glory these will be for some other day 
However, before I conclude, let me just take one more portrait, and that is his sacrifice. His sacrifice. Mark 10, verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We all know that sacrifice was a well-established ritual in the Old Testament. But do we know that God actually got sick and tired with the sacrifices that God offered, that, that man offered? That God got tired and sick of the of, uh, offerings that man was trying to offer? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. Isaiah chapter 1, 11 to 13. I am sick of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Don't bring me any more burnt offerings. I don't want the fat from your rams and other animals. I don't want to see the blood from your offerings of bulls and rams and goats. Why do you keep parading through my courts with your worthless sacrifices? The incense you bring me is a stench in my nostrils. Your celebration of the new moon and the Sabbath day and your special days for fasting, even your most pious meetings, are all sinful and false. I want nothing more to do with them. You see, like many other things that have happened in the history of man, the, the lives of men became so sinful and so filthy that sacrifices meant nothing at that point of time, though it was established on a command of God. The triune God had to take a final call on this state of man. And thus came the planned sacrifice of Jesus. In John 1.29, John the Baptist introduces Jesus to the crowd with these words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The people could understand what the Lamb meant. Because that was an animal of sacrifice. And John went on to say, John the Baptist, he would take away the sins of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, Peter writes it like this, Who his own self bear our sins in his body, in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That is the sacrifice that, of Jesus that Peter is talking about. John the Beloved expresses it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Why did Jesus have to sacrifice his life? simply so that you and I could live. We could do nothing by ourselves to redeem ourselves from the clutches of sin. The only way was for the Lamb of God to substitute on that cross. The penalty has been paid. Do you and I recognize this? Does your life reflect the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ? In a few minutes, many of us are going to come forward for the Lord's table. What does it mean for you to receive the body and the blood of the Lord? 
Are you doing it as a ritual? Or do you truly appreciate and understand the meaning of what the Lord has done? Shall we just take a few minutes, meditate on this, on what the Lord has done, and prepare ourselves for the Lord's table. It's a time of introspection. Just remember, as you prepare yourself for the Lord's table, and think what the Lord has done. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord. You are truly the only complete man. And Father God, even as we look to you and see the characters that you portrayed, Lord Father, your grace, your love, your humility, your obedience, your sacrifice, and much, much, much more, Lord. Father God, we pray, Lord, that we will have that will, we will have that desire to truly be Christ-like. And Father God, even as we remember what you did on that cross, help us to remember, Lord Father, that you did it so that I could live. So that each one of us here could live. None of us would be hell-bound, but all of us would be heaven-bound. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that you chose to come and sacrifice, to show your love for us, to practice your grace, to live in humility. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will be with us and minister unto us, Lord, in such a way that we will continue to move closer to you, Lord. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? And as we prepare for the Lord's table, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 32. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Today we celebrate 
the Lord's table. Jesus established two ordinances for the church. Baptism and the Lord's table. Baptism is the outward mark of the believer. Their obedience and their commitment to Christ. The second ordinance is the Lord's table. Through the bread and the cup, we affirm our oneness with the Lord and with each other. We come to the Lord's table in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he did. The bread is symbolic of the body of Christ. When we eat the bread at the Lord's table, we do it in remembrance of the sinless body of Jesus that bore our sins on the cross. The cup in the Lord's table is the blood of the Lamb of God that was shed for our salvation. We also come to the Lord's table with personal preparation. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. Can we be in an attitude of prayer as we take a moment to consider these? Just take a moment to remember what the Lord has done. What does the bread mean to you today? What does the cup mean to you today? What was the price that was paid for you on that cross? Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. In your own words, in your own ways, remember the Lord. Don't look at the person next to you. It's got nothing to do with that person. You remember the Lord. The Lord broke his body and shed his blood for you, for me, for each one of us as individuals. Let us remember what the Lord has done. Let us also examine ourselves consider these. Am I taking the Lord's table as a ritual? Am I taking the Lord's table lightly? Am I partaking of the Lord's table with bitterness in my heart? Am I partaking of the Lord's table with unconfessed sin? Examine yourself. Because that's what the word of God says. If you have answered yes to any of those points of self-examination, just confess it to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. God's grace is freely available to all who ask. Our God is a forgiving God. All you need to do is ask. Father God, we just want to thank you for this time, Lord. And Father God, even as we remember your sacrifice on that cross, how your body was broken, how your blood was shed, so that today, each one of us here can live. We have a hope for tomorrow. We have a hope for the future. We know we, where we are going, Lord. And that is because of that sacrifice that you made. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord. Father God, if there is any unconfessed sin in our lives, we pray, Lord, 
that you will cleanse us and make us worthy to receive your body and blood, Lord. We commit ourselves into your hands and we pray, Lord, that you take charge. Even as we come forward to take the body and the blood, we sanctify these elements that have been kept here, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to minister unto each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All those who have obeyed the Lord in taking water baptism by immersion are welcome to share in the Lord's table. Those of you who have given your life to Christ, are born again, and have obeyed the Lord in going through the waters of baptism by immersion are welcome to share in the Lord's table. The ushers will guide you as you come forward. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you reveal a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is
there's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving glow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the land. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the land. Would you do service for Jesus your King? There's power in the blood. Far in the blood, would you live daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb of the Lamb. There is power, power. Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you all evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for again, to Calvary's time. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power. In the blood of the Lamb, of the Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood, 
of this victory. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says that yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He has made you righteous today in Jesus' name. And he shall bear their iniquities. It was done years ago, for your sake and mine, in Jesus' name. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. I'll read that verse once again. Therefore, I will divide him a spoil. This is God the Father 
talking about Jesus, telling him what would happen after the ascension, what would happen after the cross. Ideally, it says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And this talks about Jesus dividing the spoils with us. And it says, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross was more than a human plot. It was for your sin, and it was for mine, and it was by the will of God. Verse 10 says, it was by the will of God that Jesus was put to death. There were two thieves who were hanging by the side of the Lord Jesus, and they were cursing God. But Jesus, while on the cross, was blessing God. The only anguish was that there was a separation. But that separation was for our victory. Today, as the message came unto us about portraits of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we see Him? Do we see Him in all His humility? Brethren, he was crushed in Gethsemane much before he was crushed on the cross. Because there the Bible says that his, his sweat became like blood. And Gethsemane means the oil press. He was crushed out. He was wrung out for our sakes. And here, do we see him in all the humility giving himself up for the will of the Lord? We heard and we understood what obedience is. We understood what sacrifice is. We understood what humility is. And we cannot come to Calvary unless we pass through Gethsemane. Have you been there lately? Have you been to Gethsemane lately where the victory was sealed and it was on Calvary that the victory was handed over. We just celebrated the victory of the Lord. Do I get an amen? And here it says that it was not without God's knowledge. Jesus stands back and looks at God's plan. He says that, over here he says that, what did Jesus feel about it? Out of the anguish of his own soul, he made us see the light. What we partook of right now was to see what Jesus took joy in. Do you understand that? When we came here, when we celebrated in, in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, what we saw over here was that Jesus, what he took pleasure to do for us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that for the joy of the of what was laying beyond the cross Jesus endured it. Therefore when we walk out of here when we walk out of here we walk with joy. 
We walk as victors. Because Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For as many who did not partake of this, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 19, verse 42. It says, Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem and he says, mourning over Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus Christ, he saw those who did not partake of today's celebration and he mourns over you and he says, if only you knew the things that make for your peace. Jesus walked into Jerusalem and he himself was the peace of God and he stood there and said, if only you knew. If only you knew. And today God is telling us the same thing. I want to pray with you if you have not yet known the Lord Jesus. Because He is God's peace on your behalf. So if you are here today and you have not known this Jesus. This Jesus that we talked about. The one who spans the ages. The one who was given for our sins. Would you acknowledge yourself? There's no shame in the house of the Lord. For there's no man that can save you. Would you acknowledge yourself? I'm not asking the people to close their eyes. For the one reason that if you are ashamed of Christ, Christ would be ashamed of you. I don't want you to lift up your eyes because the other eyes are hands, because the other eyes are closed. I want you to love this Jesus and say, I love him. I don't care what people say. I don't care if they call me a fanatic. I don't care if they call me a, a lunatic. But I will live for Jesus. If you're there today, I don't want you to be ashamed of men. Because Jesus tells this verse. He says, if you are ashamed of me before men, then I will be ashamed of you before my Father. Therefore, if you are here, I plead to you, reconcile with God today. If you want Jesus to come and take over your life, would you lift up your hand unto me? Would you lift up your hand unto me? And I want to pray with you. Therefore, I take it that all of us over here are reconciled with God. And God be judged between you and Him. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Your is love, vast as the oceans, love and kindness as the flood, where the prince of life are ransomed, shed in us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember 
Who can cease to sing His praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. One more time. Here is love. Here is love. Watched as the ocean. The ocean, love in kindness as the flood, love in kindness as the flood, where the prince of life are ransomed, the prince of life are ransomed. Would you be on your feet? Shed it up, precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal eternal days. One more time with understanding. Here is love. Here is love. Vast as the ocean. Loving kindness as the flood. Kindness as the flood. Where the prince of life. Where the prince of life are ransomed. Shed for us his precious blood. His precious blood, who His love will not remember, who His love will not remember, who can cease to sing His praise, amen, to sing His praise, He can never be forgotten, will be forgotten, throughout heavens, throughout heavens. Eternal day. And listen to this, it says, On the mouth of crucifixion, fountains open, fountains open, deep and wide, through the floodgates of God's mercy, floodgates of God's mercy, flowed a vast and gracious tide. And gracious God, grace and love, grace and love, like mighty rivers, hallelujah, poured in from above, and heaven's peace, heaven's peace, and perfect justice. It's the guilty world in love. It's a guilty world in love. On the mouth of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide through the flood. It's of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious time. 
Grace and love like mighty rivers. Thank you, Lord, for incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice. Kissed again, the world in love. The Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He rose again from the dead, is now seated at the right hand of the Father on high. With supreme power over every entitlement, Jesus Christ is right now giving us authority and saying, Have life. Have life. Because you live, we shall live, O Lord. And because we have partaken of this body and blood of Jesus Christ, Father, we shall not be ashamed on that day. And on that day we shall stand in your presence, O Lord God. Where the wicked shall not stand, we shall stand, O Lord. And we give you thanks. Where the guilty are going free today. Because we have taken the spoils of complete victory. The one who descended has ascended on high and is given gifts unto men. Therefore we have complete victory in you in Jesus name. You are actively saving people today in the name of Jesus. Thank you Lord for the portraits that you have given us. About Jesus in the Gospels. You will never be forgotten. Throughout heaven's eternal days. Thank you Father for as many of us as partook. For those who refrained. God will you not deal with their hearts tonight in the name of Jesus. Father for none shall be lacking in your presence in Jesus name. And Lord we also pray this blessing over our generations now in the name of Jesus. That when our tribe is called up yonder, ten generations would arise in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, His goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord. Amen. We sing Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise and shine, for the light is come. Arise, shine. For the light is come. Oh, oh, oh. Arise, shine. For the light is come. Oh, the glory, the, the glory of the Lord has risen. The glory, the glory of the Lord has come. Oh, the glory, the glory of the Lord has risen upon me. Arise and shine, arise shine, oh for the light is come. Arise and shine, arise shine, for the light is come. 